You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com. Here with you all on this Thursday, we are getting so close to actual NBA games. Well, some start tonight, and then the Pelicans play tomorrow. Of course, we'll preview the game in tomorrow's podcast. But today we got kind of a few different things we need to go over, two of them pertaining to the Pelicans, one just pertaining to the league as a whole, which I'm going to rant about because I'm kind of fired up about this. So the big story in the league right now is obviously what's going on with the Dallas Mavericks, the sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, whatever you want to call it, that scandal kind of rocking them and Mark Cuban being under fire. I'm going to go into that a little bit because I have strong feelings on this, just this topic in general in the world, in the media, and everything like that, and I hate to see stories like this. Also, there is some news for the Pelicans. Walter Lemon Jr. signing to a 10-day contract. I'm going to give you guys a little bit more info about him. Will he stick around? Will he not? Is this really a good move for the team, or are they just kind of trying to bring in anyone and see how it's going to fit? And then finally, we're going to take a look at strength of schedule for kind of the remaining teams in the playoff race. The other day on the Locked On NBA podcast, John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics, and myself kind of looked at the Western Conference. I've factored in a lot of the strength of schedule stuff to kind of my predictions there, but I want to kind of lay them out for you where we can kind of see who might be a challenge to the Pelicans and what the Pelicans' strength of schedule is going forward when it comes to opponents. Um, it, over the remainder of the year. So we'll break all that down and more in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks. And to be honest with you guys, this is the third or fourth time I've started this segment, only then just to delete it because it's a tough subject to tackle. And I'm still so angry about reading this thing. And it bugs me to a huge degree. And that's why I want to address it on here. I think a lot of you know, I do some ghostwriting for dating relationship advice on the side. And I hate, you know, a lot of the advice I give is just don't be dicks to women and it gets you really far. And unfortunately, in 2018, you shouldn't get bonus points for just being a respectable human, but you do. And a lot of people don't understand how to treat people with respect or any kind of fashion like that. And it drives me insane to see that. I try and treat people quite well in real life. And when I see others not do that, I kind of want to fight against it. Though you can't always win those type of battles or anything. So it bugs me to see a situation in the NBA and a sport we love, obviously, where there's basically just... A, a work culture that is outright hostile towards women with the team president, Tajimi uh, Usuri, just being so inappropriate that I don't understand how this kind of just goes on and no one does anything about it unless you're just trying to cover things up or not care. And, you know, we've seen it all over the media now, particularly in the film industry, where I also do a lot of work. And where you have these situations where people just kind of use their power and to kind of force their agenda and make uncomfortable comments to women thinking nothing of it when really it just shouldn't be like this. Like we shouldn't treat people this way. So to see Mark Cuban, the most hands-on owner, and like I don't think 
anyone's giving him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't know what the hell was going on in his organization, even though he claims he didn't spend much time with the team's business office and instead is at the practice facility, all of that. You still have to think he knew what the hell was going on. And he came out the other day. And basically, if, if you haven't read this bombshell story from Sports Illustrated, go and do it. It's well worth the read and just, oh, my God, is it bad. Um, so, so one of the other things that came out, not with the team president, was the team's beat writer for Mavs.com basically has a history of domestic violence. He was arrested for it with a former girlfriend and then started dating a team employee. And then at some point hit her. She came in with a swelled up, bruised face, filed a complaint with HR and just basically nothing happened. And well, not nothing happened. They, they decided to keep him. He didn't lose his job, but he had to sign a thing saying he was going to go to anger management, get some help. And then also was not allowed to be in a room one-on-one with a female employee. He had to basically have a chaperone with him at all times, which is a fucking mind-blowing thing to think about that if you have to go to that degree to feel comfortable with having someone in your employee, then maybe you need to get rid of that person to not, because how are the rest of your staffers going to feel about that? You guys have tried to do everything you could to protect women here, except actually protect them from this guy and remove him from the situation. And this was on Mark Cuban. And Again, I've had to stop this like multiple times in there. I get fired up about this stuff a little bit. There's a line in his comments the other day that really kind of jumped out to me, and I'm going to share the quote here. And this is regarding the second incident with their beat reporter. And he said, so when the second time came around, the way I looked at it was, and again, in hindsight, it was a mistake, but I didn't want to just fire him because then he would go out there and get hired again and do it somewhere else, Cuban told ESPN. And that's what I was truly afraid of. And that was the discussion we had internally. It was a choice between just firing him and making sure we had control of him. This right there, this quote is the fucking issue with what went on with the Dallas Mavericks, that particularly that end of it, making sure we had control of him. You don't want to have control over employees to that degree, maybe for them to do their jobs, but whether or not they hit women, just remove them from the situation and don't try and control that. It's as simple as that. You know, this guy, the, their team president, who was in charge of the team for 20 freaking years, basically doing this for all 20 years is what it sounds like, Useri, had control over the people below him because they were worried about getting fired because the HR guy didn't have a private office to have private conversations with the employees who came to him with complaints and was within earshot of Useri's office. That's a guy throwing his control out there, and that creates part of the problem here. I don't understand why... Cubans trying to play the victim here and almost taking a martyr-like approach and mentality of saying, well, I didn't want to let someone else deal with this, so we kept the problem close to us, like falling on a fucking grenade um, to prevent this from happening elsewhere. No, you fire him and you put out what the hell happened, and then he's not going to get hired anywhere else, and then he's not going to do it again when people know what the hell's going on. When you keep it quiet and keep it a secret, that's when he might get hired again and have this come up again because he thinks he's getting away with it. This is absolutely atrocious and bothers me to no end what went on here with the Dallas Mavericks. What pissed me off even more now, you, can, you guys can hear it in my voice, I'm sure here, is he got fined $600,000 yesterday. Of all the days to find Mark Cuban $600,000 for his comments on tanking, 
to kind of take the story and the shine off of the stuff in the, in the offices and what was going on in the culture they've built in the Dallas Mavericks and put it on the tanking thing is stupid. You needed to wait and announce that fine at another time and let this story have its light of day. For a couple hours right after that happened, that's all people were talking about. If you were to Google Mark Cuban at that point, it probably would have been $600,000 fine. Not his stupid-ass comments after the fact or what he allowed to happen in the Dallas Mavericks. You know, ignorance isn't an excuse. Following orders is not an excuse. This is just an overall bad situation, and the NBA does have to do something about this. Luckily, there's multiple investigations going on into this. Um, I believe it was USA Today has a story up right now talking about how the NBA will get access to the independent firm that's hired to investigate the Mavs, the Mavs hired. Um, they're going to be able to kind of get everything. So something should come from this because you need to do something right now to make this a deterrent and to send a message that this shit just isn't okay. Everybody, not guys and girls, anything, just treat people with fucking some basic respect. Like it's not hard. It's a really simple thing to do. And we don't do it enough. And again, you shouldn't get bonus points for it, but you do. And also, to any woman like working in sports in any kind of capacity, think about the shit they have to go through just to stay in a field that they want to work in. It is unbelievable, and they are so resilient and deserve so much damn credit um, compared to, I guess, other situations. But my God, is this just a mess, and it bugs me to absolutely no end. So moving on from that in, in a moment to other topics, don't forget if you haven't listened yet, I am now the co-host on the Wednesday edition of the Locked On NBA podcast, John Corrales of Locked On Celtics and I, we recorded our first one. It's up there now where we looked around the Western Conference, kind of talked about the, the tiers we see kind of developing in there and these teams. Go give it a listen because we're going to talk about some of the similar things at the end of today's podcast with the strength of schedule and kind of looking ahead that way. So make sure you give a listen, like and subscribe and all of that business to the Locked On NBA podcast. Okay, player news on the Pelicans front. Walter Lemon Jr., a guard, signing with the Pelicans on a 10-day contract, filling up that final roster spot. What do you guys want to know about him? Well, I've got everything you kind of need to know about him. I mean, really, there's not like a ton. We're not going to break down a 10-day contract player who maybe will stick around um, a huge deal here, particularly because who knows how many minutes he's actually going to get. We've seen this coaching staff, you know, not really trust new guys all the time. It takes a little bit to really break into the rotation if you're kind of a younger player. He's somewhat younger. So Walter Lemon Jr., 25-year-old guard. He's a 6'3 in height, lefty guard. That's really known for just attacking off the dribble. He has he played four years at Bradley, went undrafted, and then got onto the Warriors Summer League team in 2014-2015 for that season. In college, he, again, is known as just kind of a driving attacking guard. A guy could actually finish at the rim against the talent level that he's played against. Who knows if that'll translate to the actual NBA fairly well. Averaged 13.2 points per game in college. You know, not a great deep shooter, shot 32.1% from three, so there's a bit of a concern there, and that's kind of followed him. So he played with the Warriors Summer League in 2014-2015 and played four games there. Nothing good. Averaged under four points per game in those four contests. That wasn't enough to really keep him around, of course. So that's kind of not a good look there. Played in the G League after that. He's had kind of two stints there, first in 2015-2016 with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, where he did average 13.5 points per game, so kind of close to his college numbers, and had the highest shooting season from three, where he shot 35.2%. So that's kind of the high mark there. He's bounced around Europe. He's kind of played more or less like two and a half seasons there. 
um, in the various leagues, kind of bouncing around different teams. Nothing really stands out, to be honest, from that. I think the reason he's getting a look with the Pelicans now is for playing in 2017-2018 with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, where he was named the G League Player of the Month for November, and he's averaging 22.7 points per game. He actually had a 40-point game the other day, kind of recently. So it shows he can score, and he getting gets to the rim, and that's what he does. Again, not a deep shooter this season in the G League. 31.4 points per game. So you kind of see what he does. On the other side of the ball, not offensively, he is a slightly above average defender when you really watch him. He's got kind of decent balance and strength. His height might be a bit of a worry. 6'3", is it slightly undersided regarding some of the taller twos out there? Um, so you have to figure when he's on the court, the Pelicans might be hiding him a little bit. But he's not going to necessarily, and again, this doesn't always translate to the NBA and we don't know for sure, he's not necessarily going to make your team worse defensively when he's out there, which is at least something good. you got to kind of like that. Uh, offensively, another thing, he does have the tendency to turn the ball over a little bit. That's going to happen when guys try and drive to the rim all the time. You know, bigs can, you can get it swatted out of your hand as you drive for a steal. You know, sometimes you get blocked, don't finish well, different things like that. Um, so there's ways to turn it over there. But, you know, the Pelicans don't really quite have a guard in this capacity. Kind of think like a Tyreek Evans type player that just wants to drive and go. And, you know, they have DeAndre Liggins, who they use as kind of that spot-up shooter. You have um, Rajon Rondo, though. You have to figure these two guys aren't going to be playing together with the lack of three-point shooting. But again, who's he going to get minutes over? You have Rondo and Holiday and Moore and Liggins and Ian Clark. It's five guys right there. I don't exactly know what's if he's going to get into the rotation. He's also 25, so it's not like there's a ton of upside there for him for next season. I know kind of what is we talked about the other day. They might need to kind of sign a guy to a two-year deal like they've done for Tim Frazier, Bryce DeJean Jones, different number of guys um, to do that. So who knows if they're going to do that here. If he doesn't get minutes, it's not necessarily going to be the best signing, and it's just kind of a body, and you have to figure they're likely going to just kind of cycle through um, 10-day guys for the rest of the season at the guard position most likely. So that's kind of where they stand with him. There's a chance. Like, if you watch his highlights, they're good, to be honest. Again, these are highlights in the G League this season. That doesn't always translate. And being a top scorer in the G League doesn't mean you're going to be good in the NBA. Otherwise, a guy like Pierre Jackson, who was drafted by the Pels or traded for, I forget exactly how it went, um, would be playing in the NBA now. And he never has. And he led the G League in scoring, D League in scoring for, I think, two straight years, including like 50-plus point games multiple times. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. So that's kind of your newest player here on the Pelicans, Walter Lemon Jr. Maybe we'll see him get some minutes on Friday against the Miami Heat. So I told you guys to subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast, but don't forget to subscribe to Locked On Pelicans, the podcast you guys listen to every single day, whether you do it through Megaphone where it's all uploaded or wherever you get your podcast from. Subscribing to it and leaving a five-star review really does make a difference. That's one of the reasons this podcast is free and five days a week for you all. No paywall, no, no Patreon asking for money, anything like that. Just like and subscribe, and I will be super-duper happy. So please make sure you do that for Locked On Pelicans.
All right, final segment here for Locked On Pelicans this Thursday edition. Talking about strength of schedule, and the reason I want to bring this up was when I went over the Western Conference with John, I did factor this into kind of how I ranked these teams and looked at that jumbled mess that is basically the 3 through 10 spots. And I don't think strength of schedule is a huge determining factor. It's just one of many and it could mean something, it could mean nothing. It also just depends on injuries and other things. So you kind of try and project based off this. I think there's a lot of problems with that. But I basically got screamed at it by a number of Denver Nuggets fans and Jazz fans and things like that. Um, so it's worth mentioning, clearly, because people want to talk about it some. And I, I think they're right to a degree. So we're going to look at the strength of schedule for some of these teams kind of going in there. And we'll just kind of go, let's kind of go over a few things first here. We're looking at teams for... Uh, the Spurs, who might not have Kawhi Leonard back this year, looks like they won't. We'll talk about that at some point in the future. So the Spurs, who are currently in third, Minnesota, who's in fourth, OKC in fifth, Denver sixth, Portland tied for sixth as well with them, the Pelicans in eighth, then you've got the Clippers at ninth, and Utah at ten. So which of these teams are likely to make it in and which aren't and which have kind of the easiest road to go? Well, I'll tell you, basically, there's only one team that has a bit of an, two teams, really, that have an easy schedule when it comes to getting into the playoffs. One is Minnesota, which, based just on opponent winning percentage in the league, has the 14th um, toughest. So right in the middle, their opponents have a five, uh, 5.07 winning percentage. The thing there, though, is they only have 21 games remaining, while most teams have 24 or 25. That really gives them an advantage rest-wise and just kind of health-wise and everything. And it's just fewer games they can possibly lose. You're looking at them potentially going to be getting into the playoffs as the third seed because the Spurs have the toughest strength of schedule remaining. They've got two against the Rockets, two against the Warriors. Then they've got to play the Cavs and the Timberwolves are their six toughest games upcoming. It's a 550 winning percentage for opponents without Kawhi Leonard and maybe that deflates the team a little bit they drop I think they're still in the playoffs for sure but I think you're going to see Minnesota get that third seed that's when it then gets kind of interesting after that because all of these teams are all jumbled together more or less and they're all pretty close as a matter of fact you know, let's look at the bottom. Utah, which is in the 10 spot currently, riding an 11-game winning streak, actually has the 22nd toughest uh, strength of schedule remaining. That's going to help them because it's tough to sustain that kind of level of basketball that they've been playing, that really high-level great ball. But opponents only have a 48 and a half. Uh, 485 winning percentage over their final 24 games might make it a little bit easier to maintain the level of play that they're at right now because you're playing against kind of uh, a little bit easier competition. The rest of the teams have really tough strength of schedules. The Clippers, who are in the ninth spot, have the fifth hardest with an opponent winning percentage of 532 left. Portland has played a relatively easy schedule so far for the most part this year, though it's picked up recently, is at sixth. The Pelicans have the seventh toughest. OKC is the ninth, and then Denver at 10. I still like this Denver team a lot. They're going to be getting Paul Millsap back. They've played no defense all year, and they've started playing some defense. So now you add a good player back into the mix and a smart player, and that can really help them. Uh, so now that they're starting to play some D, I think you can kind of see it. They also don't have any games against the Warriors, so no automatic losses essentially upcoming for the rest of the season. That's a very good thing. The Pelicans play the Rockets twice, Warriors once, Celtics, 
Cavs, and Spurs. That's a little bit tough there. Portland's got two against the Rockets, basically the same slate as the Pels, Warriors, uh, Celtics, Cavs, Spurs. And then the Clippers, again, almost similar, except instead of the Celtics, throw in the Toronto Raptors. Maybe a better team? So you have to figure the Clippers are probably not going to end up making the playoffs, leaving a team to fall out basically between New Orleans, Portland, Denver, or Utah. And which one is it going to be? And I'm not sure. You know, I think OKC's got enough talent to get in. I think we kind of feel safe with the Spurs. And then it's really going to be a mix between more or less those four teams, the Clippers, Portland, New Orleans, and Utah. If Utah can't keep this run up, and, you know, maybe they can't, I think that certainly is going to help the Pelicans get in. But it is going to be a fight to the finish. But that's how it goes. So, again, San Antonio with the toughest strength of schedule remaining. Clippers at five, Portland at six, New Orleans at seven. So, essentially, that's all even right there. I think New Orleans has more talent than the Clippers. That should help. Portland is kind of still a big mystery when it comes to everything. OKC at 9, Denver at 10, and that's going to be a bit of a fight too. So we will see what happens, and it finally is going to get back to Pelicans basketball tomorrow night as they take on the Miami Heat. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. The Thursday edition is done. We will preview tomorrow's game against the Miami Heat. Talk about everything else you want to know with this team. So don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. 